and welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. Thanks for sticking with me as we took the week off last week due to Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a great holiday if you're in America, whether you were with family or relaxing by yourself. But this week, we're, we're, I'm back, and I'm so thrilled to be back because we have a horror fan and horror writer, Alex Grass, on the show. He is the author of three books that have broken into the Kindle Top 100, including Drek, his most recent, which is a supernatural thriller that offers a peculiar but engrossing vision of the future. In this episode, we talk about why horror fans are so awesome and so much more passionate than fans of other genres, and why Alex loves Korean horror specifically. We also talk about movies like The Thing, including the 2011 prequel, which he defends, Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass, and Doctor Sleep. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated, and it really helps people find us. I think I've rambled enough, so let's get into this episode with Alex Grass. Hey, Alex, how are you? Good. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, it's always hard to pick out the highlights, but I guess the stuff that's most relevant is uh, I'm from Pennsylvania. I say that because I got kind of like, I don't know, um, a more central Pennsylvania M. Night Shyamalan thing going on where I, I set the, the stories uh, in PA a bunch. Um, I come from, I guess, a pretty big family. Uh, we all just met for my grandmother's 90th birthday here in Manhattan. And uh, like we had, so oh, man, I got so many cousins. Um, I got three younger brothers. Um, we grew up sort of like scrapping with each other and um, making too much trouble for my mom. <laughs> and uh, let me see. What else is real important? Oh, I always like to get this out of the way. Uh, my wife is in med school. I'm very proud of her. I tell everyone that. And uh, I, I hope that this is not offensive, but um, I also like to put in that my wife has just like fabulous breasts. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I try to put that in wherever I can. Uh, and I know that she doesn't appreciate that, but it's out of love. Oh, well, that's yeah. very nice that you give your wife and her breasts a shout out. Yeah, both <laughs> of them. All, both of them. <laughs> uh, so you said you're in Manhattan. I didn't know you were in New York City. No, I'm in Brooklyn. Um, oh, OK, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, my my uh, my grand my granny had her her birthday uh, in Manhattan. She actually lives in Harrisburg still. Um, but she came up and boy, when she came in, she like she's she's high styling like she came in my my uncle marty uh always says about her that if, if she didn't end up being sort of like you know the the matriarch of harrisburg she would have been bella abzug like she would have been a like a a, a high-end civil rights lawyer or something like that and she came in and she was just glowing oh my god like oh. there was an aura behind her you know That's um, awesome. yeah it's great and i think my old man uh has caught that the longevity gene too. So I'm hoping to inherit that, but you know, who knows? He's, he's about to get a liver transplant. And you know, the funny thing is, is that 
you know, like the two boys who called him instantly to offer up our livers or me and um, the brother right under me, I'm the oldest, the, the brother right under me, Arthur. And I, I'd say that the two of us had the most hard living. And he's like, yeah, wouldn't my old man said, wouldn't you figure it? The two sons who are quick to give me their livers have the two shit livers. <laughs> oh, well, that's very uh, kind of you to offer your liver to your dad. Well, I don't know if I meant it, but it, it just seemed like the thing you would say. Yeah. No, I, I meant it. I'd, <laughs> I'd give him my liver. Oh, so first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? The Thing, 100%. Nice. Un- unquestionably, The Thing. And I loved that movie before I even knew John Carpenter by name. Um, I loved it before I really even enjoyed horror because I didn't really get into horror until um, I guess about four years ago. Um, but I saw that movie, I guess, 13, 14 years ago for the first time. And I was just blown away by it. I don't know. I always say it's like it's 12 angry men with aliens set in Antarctica. You know, it's the the special effects are really amazing um, considering uh, the time. And um, I forget the where I saw it, but there's some behind the scenes documentary about uh, the kid who did the special effects for it. I think he might. I think he might have been the same uh, guy who did uh, an American Werewolf in London, but um, like really a phenom at the time. And so I guess that when I was watching it, even though we live in the you know the heyday or the the golden age of um, CGI, it was still very believable to me. It's still very frightening. You know, when you watch that at night and something about like the gristle and the gore um, and something about the isolation. You know, I always thought that the best horror movies are um, set in the darkest and most unfamiliar places. And you can't get more dark and more unfamiliar than Antarctica. And it has all the implications of um, of death and peril. Um, that should be present, I think, in the bleakest horror films and that not only are they isolated, but there's no radio contact. No one's coming for them. They're going into winter. And the very nature of the, of the monster, it's a monster that can replicate. So they can't trust each other. And it's just the perfect storm. And um, just as a movie, before I even categorized it as a horror movie, I was just like blown away by it. I'm like, wow. And the other thing that's incredibly underrated, I think, is um, the soundtrack, which is by uh, Ennio Morricone. And Ennio Morricone is like sort of known for, I think, like uh, spaghetti westerns. He did um, like, what is it? Like The Rush of Gold, or it might just be called Gold Rush, but um I think he scored Sergio Leone uh, films, but he deliberately, um, Morricone deliberately mimicked what Carpenter had done in his other movies. Cause you know, Carpenter scores all his stuff. And I, and I think it was um, maybe the first time uh, that Carpenter hadn't scored one of his movies, but just from the beginning, when you hear like the boom, 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 and then you hear the strings come in very eerie. Yeah. What do you think of the, the remake that was done of it or the prequel? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I was ready to take a huge dump all over it, you know, <laughs> cause like, um, 
I, I'm, I'm not anti-prequel or sequel, but I do think that a lot of the time um, when you, like, it's very hard to like, find the things that qualify um, as art in popular entertainment because oftentimes, because popular en entertainment is uh, corporatized and everything has to be filtered through censors and through bureaucracy, um, you know, like art by committee is very difficult. And I think that uh, horror has an advantage in the first instance because it comes from fans. Like you see um, production houses like Bloomhouse or you see directors like Eli Roth or um, like Sam Raimi and they, like, they really have a passion for it, you know? Like um, Sam Raimi can go out and do other movies. Like he did For the Love of the Game with Kevin Cosner, uh, which I actually watched with my wife and like she loved it, but I was very surprised by. It. I didn't even know that was Raimi until later. But um, so, you know, horror has an advantage, but I think a lot of the time people remake movies um, just because it's like, like betting on a known horse in the race. And they said, oh, the thing worked once we can make it work again. Um, and there were similarities, but that's not really what they did. Uh, the, the dynamics were very different. Like I really, um, you know, I like how they dove into the, um, like the origins of like the Norwegian team. Uh, because... I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the prequel, so I'm just smiling. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. All right. Well, I, I don't want to spoil it. I highly <laughs> recommend it. It's very good. Okay, you're the second person to tell me recently that it is good because I had only heard previously that it was hot garbage. So yeah. I will watch it. I've I've actually only seen the original The Thing once, so I might rewatch that again too. Yeah, it, it's it's the kind of movie it it gets better, like watching and rewatching. And yeah. I probably say that because for a long time I put it on while I I fell asleep, which is like <laughs> people are like, why would you do that? Yeah. Don't you have terrible dreams? Like, yeah, but they're dreams that are very much like John Carpenter's The Thing, so it's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you touched upon this a little bit um, before. You said you just got into horror about four years ago. How did you get into horror? How did you fall in love with it? Um, so I, this is, I mean, I, I tell this story a lot and on the off chance that like anyone has ever heard me before which is probably pretty low chances. I apologize if I run over the same ground, but um, uh, about four years ago, I went to a rehab in Florida. And um, the easiest way to explain is that I just had a complete um, perceptual shift in just about the way I viewed everything. And I came back from Florida finding that I looked at just about every experience I had before, but also at familiar things like art in a totally new way. I had to rewatch movies and reread books that I had thought that I had hated. And uh, with movies in particular, um, I found it was completely wrong. But also there was sort of like a renewed or not even renewed, but a, a brand new sensitivity to things um, like uh, the environment, the, environment I was in and, um, and uh, you know, uh, nature, for instance. And I don't mean that in like the political sense, environmental, but the best example would be uh, my wife and I went to this place called uh, Mohonk Mountain. 
and um, it's run by an old Quaker family. It's a, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a luxury place, but it's very old school, you know, um, v- like v- a, v- a big Overlook vibe to it, you know, big Overlook vibe. And um, there's no t- televisions in the rooms and, you know, like all the, the fun stuff is out on the lake and um, they, they bring in lecturers each night. And I remember um, having had like that uh, new interest in horror. And for, for me, the, the introduction was with um, um, Thomas Ligotti and Stephen King, you know, uh, and Thomas Ligotti is a tremendous writer, but Stephen King is like the guy who's mostly responsible for inventing the supernatural world that, you know, us fans live in now. Um, and I remember looking out uh, at the lake and it was very uh, late at night and trying to explain to my wife how being terrified of something, um, being fearful of the unknown, like looking out onto that lake and seeing uh, nothing but, you know, um, like a glimmering echoes of the shadowy liquid black and having an animal fear of that that is a connection to something beyond ourselves. And um, I, I don't uh, try and like foist a, uh, a spiritual sensibility on that, but it is, um, I think the appeal of horror, it's that there's an exploration um, and in terms of the art, it's a positive exploration because here we are, you know, like for instance, right now sitting and talking about horror films and you know, that's, that's a, a genre that we love, right? I mean, we're not sitting here saying like, oh man, John Carpenter, what a piece of shit. And the thing, you know, like yeah. what a fucking dumpster fire. We're, we're talking about how we love it. And I, I think that the idea of the unknown and exploring it and facing the terror is like what we do in our lives. And it, it, it might seem, you know, to be mundane, but uh, a lot of what everybody does is they, they face down um, awfulness, um, you know, hideous occurrences, uh, terrible traumas, and they get on with living, you know? You, you don't like horror just because of the monsters. You know, you find that you, you like the characters, you know? Um, or sometimes if it's really well done, like, I'm I'm not you know above just enjoying uh, an hour and a half mishmash of jump scares you know I love that shit too. Yeah, that that definitely has its place because we don't always want to be watching horror movies that take a lot of thought. Yeah, so. for sure. <laughs> like I like I loved Midnight Mass. Did you see it? Yes, I loved. Yeah, it. loved it. Loved it. Loved <laughs> it. I could not watch one of those like Before every bed. month. <laughs> yeah. Or no, every month for the rest of my life. I it, it would just. I can't have everything be like poignant and ponderous all the time. I think I would go out of my mind, you know? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I think that that kind of answers a question that I ask everyone, which is an article came out last year saying that horror fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror fans. Why do you think that is? Is it because what you were just saying that you think that we watched this horrible stuff all the time? So we're kind of mentally more prepared than normal average people. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a part of it. I I don't know if that's the main reason, but it's definitely got to be a big part of it. 
I think that, um, you know, horror, horror fans are like fun, strange people. Um, they delight in, in things that uh, appall others. Uh, the horror fans are like the inappropriate laughers of the world, you know? Like you're at a funeral and you see that, you know, like grandma's wearing two different colored socks and some, you know, something tickles you or yeah. like, um, like someone farts while they're crying at the same funeral and like, you just can't stop laughing. Those are horror fans. They're strange people. It's like the peculiarities of the world uh, that stand out to them. And I, I think probably, you know, also it's like horror fans are very passionate. I think they're, they are, in in their in their way some of the most fervent most uh, um heartfelt devotees of their genre because um there's a defensiveness to it you know like even think of like the format of your of your show right yeah. like wh what are we doing here we're defending yeah. <laughs> horror against the it's imagined attackers right yeah exactly um but i feel the same way you know, I do. I think, I think that there, there is brilliance and there's depth in horror. And especially like we were talking about Mike Flanagan, like, okay, you know, the people who don't enjoy horror, why don't you point to something, point at some piece of art that's come out recently that had as much uh, profundity and as much meaning as Midnight Mass. I mean, that, that series just knocked me on my fucking ass. Yeah, I watched it. I think I watched it all in a week. Um, but yeah, it was very captivating and I never knew where it was going. So no spoilers here, but yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that, that was amazing that like, even yeah. though you were, you pretty so soon into the series found out what trope you were in. Yeah. You still didn't know where it was going. Yeah. You had no idea. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think it's true where you're saying that we're very passionate because you don't have people who love like dramas that are very passionate or comedies or romantic comedies no one's like i love romantic comedies so much let's dissect it because right. romantic comedies are kind of trash but <laughs> <laughs> i love some of them some of them i find very entertaining but like there's not really a deeper meaning that's presented in an effective way so right right i mean there's definitely people out there who will dispute that but i'm on our side <laughs> you oh, know <laughs> i i respect that nora efron's out there working you know doing her thing i think that's cool yeah. i just don't want to have to go sit in the theater and watch the nora efron movie you know yeah um so we are a weird group but there are some people who seem perfectly sane that love the horror genre um so why do, you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane also love the horror genre? God, that is, that's an incredibly difficult question. And I think maybe I, like I have too narrow a focus because when someone asks me that, I instantly think of guys like um, Howard Stern, Dee Snyder and Alice Cooper, you know, because they're these guys who are known for, for being provocateurs, but then in their normal life, they're so vanilla. They know? are. Um, I grew up in the same town as Dee Snyder, and he like comes to all like the soccer games and like his kids shows. I did theater with him. So right, yeah. right. Does, like yeah, doesn't he goes to like every event yeah. for his mm -hmm. kids? He goes to church every week. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. By the way, yeah. Uh, like I have a feeling that uh, uh, 
horror fans would like this. If you can go onto YouTube and find him testifying for the uh, parental advisory hearings, I forget if, I think it's the House hearings, not the Senate hearings, but he is so well-spoken and so passionate and eloquent in, in defense of, uh, of free speech. I think it's something that's like, especially for us horror fans, it's yeah. something worth listening to right now. Um, because, you know, I, I think there's always going to be a Puritan streak in, um, in American culture. Yeah. And I think maybe, yeah, I, I think maybe we're not aware of it because, you know, it's all like we know. The, yeah. It's all we know. The country's so big. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're a country that in any other place would be like, you know, like pieces of two continents, like, yeah. like from Kazakhstan to Macedonia or something, you know? Totally. Uh, what's your favorite subgenre in horror? I guess like this, like the psychokinesis stuff. Like I, I really enjoy um, the universe that Stephen King made um, from like the dead zone to uh, Dr. Sleep, you know, back to the shining. Um, like the idea that there's just heightened perception and, um, and layers of existence beyond our own, you know, reaching, you know, in, in terms of either it could be prophecy you know, forward looking into the future or it could be, you know, um, retrospective in communicating with the dead, or I guess it's actually not retrospective at all, you know, because the idea is that you know, the dead are somewhere or they occupy some netherworld, you know, in, in between uh, our place here on earth and the ultimate beyond whatever that is. Um, and I enjoy it because I think it like it really focuses on like the horror of human beings because it's it's basically amplifying you know um, the regular or not the regular but the more common malice of what human beings do you know because yeah. the the bad guys are like. Um, for instance, in Dr. Sleep, you know, the, the, uh, the true not, they're just people, right, yeah. who figure out, figure out a way to vampirically suck out the life force of other people. And uh, I think that those explorations are, you know, pretty great. I, but I also really enjoy, like, anything that has a, a, a very visually... Um, distinct occult element to it you know so like someone would say hellraiser is body horror right yeah right but i see what to me the whole film is framed inside you know that 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 little fucking box right that little <laughs> that little toy box uh and i know there's a term for it but i forget so let, let, let's just call it like some fucking you know renaissance era cube automaton and the idea that it can unleash this great evil um, and I, you know, that wasn't my generation, but my understanding is that, you know, when Clive Barker did that shit, it was completely revolutionary, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, especially like the idea of like, you know, we were talking about Puritanism in America, you, you catch like bloodthirstiness and, and mutilation with sexual gratification. Oh my God. I wish I was around to like see, you know, uh, 
like Tipper Gore's head explode, you know, or, or whoever, it doesn't matter who, you know, yeah. just like the, uh, like whatever the equivalent of it for like media matters or you know focus on the family or which, whichever one is focusing on on uh, trying to control uh, what people say oh, yeah. yeah that's a whole another topic entirely no I don't want to get into it I'm just saying you know <laughs> yeah totally um so we've already touched upon that you love John Carpenter is he your favorite horror director I'd say Flanagan probably is oh, okay cool yeah John Carpenter, I mean, John Carpenter, it's kind of like, you know, like imagine you go into like, um, like the great high council of horror, right? And you see, uh, you see the great wise sage sitting, you know, atop the main uh, throne. That would be John Carpenter. But like the guy that I would go over and nudge, that would probably be Flanagan, you know, like, Yo, Mike. What do you think of this? You know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. He seems a little bit more touchable, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I even say that because I've actually watched interviews with Carpenter, and the guy seems cool as shit. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, why do you love Flanagan so much? Um, he's different. He's different, and he's. He's loyal to the genre while looking to, to raise the bar, you know? He's not phoning it in. Um, but every, and the impression that I get is that he's, he, he has to be a workaholic because you notice the details in everything he does, yeah. you know? Like the acting is so strong. Um, the, the stories are incredible. The, the originality is there. The cinematography is great, you know. Like the the two, um, like he he. I I love the um, the vista shots he does. Like you get, you know, you don't see that too much in horror. Just like we we pan out and we see exactly where we are. You get a sense of like, and anyone who watched Midnight Mass really got a strong sense that they were on, you know, like a, a fisherman's island, like, you know, like a mini Nantucket kind of yeah. thing, you know? <laughs> um, Nantucket in the 18th century when it was whalers, you know? <laughs> yeah, he said that they started filming before COVID hit and then they had to shut down once the pandemic started. Um, so when they got to go back, everything was kind of like grown over. So it kind of looked a little bit like, like eerie. So I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, In incidental your, benefits yeah <laughs> what's your favorite Flanagan film hmm. I mean probably Doctor Sleep because I'm so pr uh, like already predisposed to it's my favorite Stephen King book mm -hmm. um, and it was that you know like the, the instant that I read it and then like when I found out they were making a movie I, I like blew, speaking of head exploding, I, like my, I fucking went nuts, you yeah. know? And um, it was the kind of thing where it was like a known obsession too. So I ran into the kitchen and I'm like, Gina, Gina, my wife, Gina, uh, my wife who's in medical school, Gina. Uh, I'm like, they're making a movie, A Doctor Sleep. She's like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that, that's nice. Um, is she a horror fan? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? She introduced me to Korean horror. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. 
um, which I love. God, they're so <laughs> fucked up, man. Yeah. They're like, they just like, I love it that they go, they, they go beyond, they go so far beyond the line. They go like, <laughs> the transgressions of transgressions of transgressions. If like, you like uh, that kind of stuff, you have to check out the movie, The Sadness, which is a Taiwanese movie. Put it on your list for when it comes on streaming. It goes even further than got, Korean got, movies. Yeah, I, I, I think that actually, speaking of like exciting new stuff, I think that a lot of the stuff that's coming out of Asia is incredible. I think that like the, um, the exposure that like uh, Bong Joon-ho got for yeah. Parasite. Like if people go back and like, cause I was a huge fan of the host. I just thought oh, that movie was, okay. yeah. I thought it was so cool, you know? And, <laughs> I, and it's, it has all his dark fucked up humor in it, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. What? I didn't know that was him. I know. Didn't he do, um, what's the movie that I'm thinking of? I don't know. Snow Piercer. Snow Piercer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that movie. Yeah, that's dark. That's real yeah. dark. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. What's What's your favorite Stephen King book besides Doctor Sleep? Besides Doctor Sleep, oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna make this difficult. Desperation, probably. Um, that sounds happy. <laughs> um, it's like um, I don't know if it's because the, like the uh, I, it is a very good book, but uh, I read it. Um, before I was interested in horror, it's like about more, know, 15 years ago, I was living in the desert in the south of Israel. And uh, the, the book is about, um, or it takes place in the desert in the Southwest, mm -hmm. but still. Yeah. And uh, it freaked the shit out of me, you know? And at, at bottom, I think that's what great horror does. It frightens you. And it takes you back to that place that you, you were at in your childhood where there are many more unknowns than there are in adult life. Yeah. And so the, the potential to, to be destroyed by the unknown things is terrifying to you as a kid. Um, yeah, that was really good. Oh, you know what? Rose Matter is awesome. Uh, the book Rose Matter. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you know, Stephen King, I think like, yeah a lot of people disagree with it i think he does it like a really great job with female antagonists um i thought like it's this uh woman she flees a terribly abusive relationship like even it, it even the relationship's abusive enough that it even rates within stephen king's scale of abuse in his books which is rough right yeah uh, so um and then the husband chases her down and the husband is like like a closeted homosexual crooked cop you know but you have the tension there because as the reader like you see like everyone is in love with him or not in love with him but everyone has reverence and respect for him because he's a cop and he has like a really good close rate you know so it shows you um i think the ways that we're like um you know the the loner or the person apart could get screwed you know and I, I think thematically it's something you see in horror a lot right it's like you know the it's like the the scapegoat syndrome or like the outsider syndrome like look at that fucking weirdo you know yeah. let's string them up so you've published three books can you tell me a little bit about them sure 
the last the last one that was published is called Drek. Um, Drek is speaking of scapegoating. It's about uh, yeah, uh, a monster who appears at the end of um, basically it's World War Three, and so this monster appears uh, sort of as like um, an omen. So the war is closing, it's an armistice, and then a portal opens up in the middle of what used to be Syria. And uh, it's um, a light with fire and it's, you know, uh, luminescent glowing at the edges. So, you know, like it has that sort of magpie drawing effect and soldiers come close to it. And then the first seven soldiers that touch it instantly die and right after that, Drex steps out of the portal. And so he becomes, um, sort of the universal uh, uh, object of loathing for the, the entire uh, post-bellum, the post-war uh, world. And then one day he appears um, in a mortuary in Pittsburgh, his dead body, right? Yeah. And so, you know, without giving away, you're left to wonder like why on earth would this monstrous creature who is, you know, um, huge in, in physical presence and, you know, grotesque in appearance you know all the creepy crawly stuff just a uh, deformed face and bizarrely neon lit eyes and antlers out coming out of his head and uh, like a broad-shouldered but not in like an appealing way broad-shouldered in, in like um Andre the Giant wearing the holocaust cloak in the princess bride sort of way you know um and so he was untrackable too, the, the character Drek. So he just appears in this mortuary. He's never really been pinned down. He, he's more like a, he's like halfway between a real, uh, a, a real villain and, you know, Bigfoot because like he's real enough that people can track his movements, but he's never been pinned down. Then he appears in this mortuary and it just makes the entire town of Seven Points, which used to be Pittsburgh, go absolutely out of their minds. And uh, religious kooks come out of the woodwork. Um, the self-appointed mayor named uh, Huey Pregado wants to get a hold of his body. And it's because they theorize that the, the body because it's connected to that supernatural occurrence out in the desert has some sort of um, latent magical ability that they can use to, you know, forward their own evil ends. Oh, wow. That sounds really interesting. What inspired you to come up with that story? I outlined that whole story while I was sitting in an orientation um, uh, and a guy was lecturing on hospice care <laughs> and, and, um, it's a, it's weird. Like I had had the idea for the, the monster Drek for a while and I sort of sketched it out and then I outlined the whole thing just sitting there. And uh, I, I, I don't usually write like this, you know, but I outlined like the whole thing bit by bit. And then I wrote it in, I'm going to say three or four weeks. Um, wow. Yeah. And uh, it it's like, it's my favorite. It's the favorite thing that I've ever done, um, not, you know, like creatively. Like we won't obviously. tell your children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't done my kids. That's sick, Jesus. <laughs> sorry, sorry, bad, bad uh, <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> uh, is, is Drek out yet? Can people find it? Yeah, on Amazon. All right, cool. On awesome. Amazon. I'll praise Bezos. Oh, no. <laughs> Lord Bezos, who rules all and sees all. 
<laughs> are your other two books also in the horror genre? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Black River Lantern is the first book that was published. Um, it's, I'd say it's like a lot more like classic Eldritch horror. You know, it's set in a rural environment and um, it does have to do with the, you know, like that favorite of my subgenres, like um, the psychokinetic uh, prophetic uh, ability. Uh, and um, the main character, Eddie, is just sort of, he's like put upon in the harshest way possible by his father who runs the, the carnival that he works at, that they both work at. So it's called the uh, Mayor Vicos, uh, uh, summer long carnivale and uh, Papa Mayor Vicos is just like a brutal, brutal, violent drunk. And he's been doing terrible things to Eddie his whole life. And as the trauma piles on Eddie's abilities, um, become more and more powerful. And so, you know, uh, consequently Papa Mayor Vicos sees more opportunities to leverage Eddie's abilities. And, um, in, in the end, it ends up, completely exploding you know as a as a as a perpetual cycle of abuse eventually must you know yeah. either either in rebellion or in in the, the terrible and sometimes inevitable fate of the subject of abuse yeah, yeah. well awesome um i will leave links to all those in the show notes so people can read them um, far out yeah um so like we were talking before we hit the record button you have three kids are you planning on introducing them to horror that's a good question uh the oldest one i don't have to do much uh she's she read the shining when she was like 11 oh wow yeah she's there <laughs> all right awesome yeah she's there and like when i ask if she's seen something she's usually already seen it you know oh, cool yeah <laughs> although she she's she's much more into that I, this is strange to me, but as a, when I was younger, like, my brother was into um, like Japanese manga and anime. And uh, I guess 20 years ago or more, that seemed a lot more fringe, but now it seems to be having its moment. Mm -hmm. And so she's also very, she's, um, I guess, Japanophile. So her and her mom are going to Tokyo in April or May, which I, I promised her when she was like 12 and you know now i'm like oh man we actually have to pay for that but it's okay it's <laughs> <That's> awesome <laughs> what about the other two the other two uh they're much younger so lucia's um oh my god she's 16 <laughs> jesus when does the shit happen okay uh the other ones are much younger joey's six and um yeah, I don't know yet. I don't know yet if he'll be into it. Um, you know, he's a little different. Uh, he's not talking yet. So like we're doing like basic stuff before we, we get to, you know, yeah. Like, uh, our genre preferences, Yeah, you know? So, uh, but he seems to like the Marvel movies. Okay. So, you know, like I, I, like if we can get him within the broader category of just like weirder speculative fiction, I feel like as he gets older, I could pull him in. And then um, my youngest, Louis, uh, he's almost three, um, but he's just a little devil. So I, I assume that I'm going to have no problem. I, it, <laughs> like, do I want to introduce them to it? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's a lot of fun. 
you know that's the that's the big thing it's like horror is a lot of fun the people who watch it really enjoy it um it's not like this book bizarre you know uh, a cult um uh, fucking collection of you know like columbiners it's a, it's just people who are passionate about a very very uh strange uh, set of subjects yeah Definitely. Uh, my friend Jody, who's been on this podcast, has six kids and he is slowly introducing them to horror. Some of them he knows are not into it. So he's like, I'm not forcing it on any of them. If they want to come to the dark side, I'll introduce them slowly. But yeah. Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? Yeah, the changeling freaks the shit out of me. Oh, really? I watched that once last year and I didn't find it scary at all. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like what the time of night that I yeah. watched it. It's just, I think the sound editing on that, it was so Ooh. good. Um, it just creeped the shit, like the width, something about the tenor of the voice, you know? Yeah. And also my middle, my, my middle kid, my, my boy, his name is Joey. And the, the, like the deceased boy's name was Joey. So I think yeah. I was just like, oh, ick, 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 <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, like I probably won't watch that again. That one, that left me, I don't know. Do you have a movie you watch where like, yeah, afterwards you feel like you still have something on you, you know, like, um, oh. maybe like hereditary. Ooh, you know what? That's a, that's a good example. Yeah. I mean, I will watch that con- not continuously, but like, I will repeat view that I own it and it leaves you feeling terrible, but it's also a really good movie. So yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. As Ari Aster says, it's a family drama. So yeah, it is. <laughs> God, yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Oh, um, another one that's like, I don't think it's quite the same, but has just sort of like, a, I, I call it like, like just the flowers in the attic feeling, you know, just like that sort of like bizarre family, um, dirty feeling, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, Orphan. I really liked Orphan. Oh, I have only seen The Orphan. I've never seen, you're talking about the Mexican film, correct? No, 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 no. That's the orphanage. Oh, okay. I'm probably talking about the same one you're thinking of. Where oh, the, the, the girl who, spoiler alert, she's not young. Yeah, she's one? like, she's an old Romanian lady. Yes. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> um, that was great. The sequel's coming out soon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. I love that fucking movie, man. <laughs> I love yeah. that movie. I was, uh, and, and like, I had not heard of it before. This was like early on in my horror education. I'm watching yeah. it. And when you find it out, I'm like, what no way (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a good reveal and they well they de-aged her for this because she obviously i think it's a prequel right yeah well obviously she's she's gotta be like a foot taller (laughs) right okay yeah (laughs) yeah right Uh, yeah so um but speaking of sound design i'm i've been debating getting like a pair of like sound canceling headphones that i can sync to my tv to watch (laughs) certain horror movies i've heard that the blair ridge project is scarier with headphones in I've never found the Blair Witch Project scary. So I'm like, maybe this will help. And like, I'd rewatch all the paranormal activity movies and like maybe Hereditary in the Lodge, just like all that stuff. I think that's a good call. Yeah. I like, I've, I think that, you know, when you invest in it, you start noticing it a lot more. And um, sound editing is like, like to me, the, the hardest job in showbiz is Foley artists. They're the guys who, do like if you ha- hear a bullet or if you hear a limb breaking, you hear anything in a movie, they're doing that, yeah. you know. Um, and 
I, th- I also feel that way, I think, probably because of the soundtrack and the thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just you start noticing a lot more. And uh, they're sort of the unsung heroes of horror, you know, like there's yeah. great, terrifying sounds that have become so iconic, like, you know, like the alien shriek, you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah definitely worth it. Yeah. Um- I remember one of my first movies back in a movie theater during the pandemic after the pandemic was uh, quiet place too. And I, it was so hard to be like, no, you really, you have to go back to the theater. You need to like have the lack of sound surround you. You need to be in it. And it's like, this movie is pretty much silent. Well, I mean, the sequel's not, but you want to, you're like, no, you have to go to the theater to experience the, the silence. Let's go. Yeah. Well, it's because, because there are so few places in our lives where there's utter silence. Yeah. Right. And notice and like few distractions besides some maybe bad audience members. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a candy wrapper crinkler. I just want to apologize to anyone who has been at the Astoria Cineplex recently. Uh, I like Sour Patch Kids. That's my bad guys. Ah, nice. So on that same note, have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? I want to say no. Maybe, you know what? There was a, there was like a guy who had stabbed somebody when Scream came out when I was a kid in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. And I I remember remember, hearing about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's possible it's made up because I think I remember hearing it from an adult and that, that seems to fit into like the, like it's a cousin to satanic panic, you know, like there's a Wes Craven movie and children are getting murdered there. But I remember going to see it after that had happened and being like extra scared. Yeah. And it's not a particularly scary movie, but, you know, the idea that, you know, you could get stabbed is frightening, I think, to most people. Yeah. To almost every. Yeah. I'm going to say stabbing is a universally scary experience. I think that's fair. Fair enough. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, what's been your favorite horror movie that you've seen in 2021? Probably Bad Hair. I haven't even heard of that. Yeah. It's a Hulu original. It's. I thought it was pretty darn good. I mean, it's this, um, the protagonist is um, a woman who, uh, she's a black woman who works at, um, I guess like like the early equivalent of, I don't know what the channel would be, but it was like BET or something like that. Or, you know, maybe it's like a, a fic- fictionalized um, uh, analog of BET. And she's just like not getting noticed and she's sort of being taken advantage of by one of the um, lead video jockeys who's uh, played by Jay Farrow, who does like an amazing job of just coming off as like a, you know, like a, a, like a slime ball minor villain. And I'm, I, I really admire when people can do that because I don't think that viewers really recognize like how much work people put into making you hate them. Yeah. it's like like really great actors yeah. are the only ones who can do that you know um like um like uh what's her name the, the woman who played keen in uh midnight mass oh you yeah. know yeah. oh like i just like i wanted to murder her you know yes. <laughs> it's like oh god you were so awful yeah. <laughs> you know uh, you know, um, and it, it like the the kind of villain where you get through the whole movie, and if that person doesn't die, you come off pissed. You know, <laughs> uh, those are incredible yeah. actors. Um, 
but the the movie is like she's getting trod on by all these people and then she um speaks up in a in a meeting and the woman who notices her who's uh, Vanessa Williams says like uh listen like it's it's great but like you're never really going to get ahead until you like get your your hair straight get a weave because mm. at the time this is like i guess a, a huge moment in black culture where you know i, I guess um uh, w- women were starting to get weaves um and she gets it and like her whole life changes you know mm. she becomes a huge executive um but there's uh there's a cost right and yeah. the the hair, the hair comes alive and like, <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, but it's actually so good. But it, that, that it, kind of sounds like the uh, Shutter original Slacks. Oh, I've never seen that. Uh, it's about a like a pair of evil jeans, but it has a good, it has like a good moral meaning underneath it. But it just sounds cheesy when you're like killer jeans. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's the same thing like killer weave, you know, it's not, yeah. it doesn't seem very imposing. <laughs> But um, there's also, there's like a, a, it's bad hair is rooted in, um, at least according to the film, slave folklore, Mm. you know? And so that adds an interesting layer. To me, I I, I sort of enjoy that. There's something like the, um, um, there's something that's hidden and mysterious when you're reaching back uh, beyond your own century and even the century prior to like, something enigmatic and, and, and scary and, um, and something that has been scary for a long time to many generations, you know? So the idea that, it, it, you know, like the a body part needing to nourish itself and becoming its, its own uh, possessed uh, entity on its own, it, that's like very frightening, I think, uh, especially because you know, uh, people feel unsafe, I think, when they're not in control. And the idea of like something in your person being outside of your control, where it's a part of you and it's directing what you do, even though you can't control it, uh, scares the shit out of people. Um, Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was great. I highly recommend it. Awesome. I'll put it on my list. (laughs) What horror movie are you most looking forward to seeing in 2022? Can I count Multiverse of Madness? I know it's an MCU movie, but it's r- rumored r- repu- it's rumored to be a horror movie because Sam Raimi's coming in to direct oh, it. Sh- sure, I don't mind. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like you know maybe like a little bit of like a a a pop pop choice, but yeah. I mean I love the shit out of Sam Raimi's movies. <laughs> like I remember watching Evil Dead Two with my <laughs> my friend Aram. And we were just like so drunk and so high and just like laughing the whole time, you know, <laughs> laughing with Sam Raimi, by the way. Nice. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. So on that same note, are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like? Or do you have any unpopular horror, horror opinions? Ooh, I can't really think of something that I really enjoy that people don't like. Um Usually I find it's the other way around. Like someone likes a horror movie. And I, you know, I don't believe, I guess that like this 
might seem like a cop out. I don't really believe in the, in the divides between the subgenres. You know, I guess for a long time, like people said, this is a, um, you know, in, in terms of uh, uh, weird fiction uh, culture, this is ages ago, but they say you couldn't do sci-fi and horror, you know? And uh, I guess the unpopular opinion maybe is like, I just don't buy into like the, the, um, the bisecting and subdividing um, like smaller genres against each other, you know? I think that like the appeal of horror is in exploring the unknown and um, allowing that fear is uh, part of the human experience. And, um, you know, beyond that, like saying whether or not, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon or a werewolf is more terrifying is, you know, it's just not interesting to me. Oh, by the way, strong recommend, strong recommend werewolf movie. Late phases. Late phases. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So it's about a, a blind uh, war vet um, who moves to like a fifty-five uh, plus senior community mm-hmm. and uh, discovers that uh, like a, a werewolf is coming to murder the senior citizens at night. Ooh. Yeah, it's real good. Real good. If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? God, that's got to be the hardest one so far. I could remake a horror movie. Okay, here's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> the Shining. Totally yeah. valid. I think a lot of people would agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Just because the book is so rich. You know, there's so much in the book. And what Kubrick made was brilliant, but it wasn't The Shining. It has become you know a cherished piece of uh art in its own right obviously because like flanagan's doctor sleep is yeah you know it's a sequel to the movie as much as it is uh you know uh, um a filmic representation of the book doctor sleep you know yeah. so it's cool but i i th- i would be interested in seeing you know like a like a three and a half hour long, you know, <laughs> you know, just like something, something more of the shining, but not like the mini series they had on CBS or, mm. you know, Oh, you know what? The easier answer is the stand. I think every version of the stand has sucked. That's my opinion. <laughs> All right, cool. I would love to see a new version of the shining. Cause I thought it was real boring, but that's just me. <laughs> that's my unpopular opinion. <laughs> um, so my last question as always is if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? Pennywise, probably Pennywise. Yeah, kind of fun. Yeah, I feel like I could win him over. <laughs> I'd be like, listen, I know that you are going to use your alien voodoo magic to try and make me descend into madness, and then you will use your giant teeth to gnaw at my body and soul. Until then, Pennywise, <laughs> why don't you let me help out a little bit? We could have a good time. <laughs> you know? Or how about... No one's gotten your side of the story, Pennywise. I can be your biographer, you know? Yes. Maybe this whole thing's a misunderstanding, man. <laughs> Maybe we get your voice out there. That we should get be your next book. <laughs> Pennywise's side of the story. Pennywise, the true story. Yes. <laughs> Authorized biogra- biography yes. by Alex Grass. That's brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Uh, yes. Uh, Amazon, you just type in Alex Grass and uh, 
I'm on Goodreads. I'm not really on anything else, but I, I'm I'm really great on Goodreads. So, and uh, I think it's a fabulous site too. Um, that's like a, another a great place that you see like a community at work, especially horror. Um, and I answer all the emails that I get from there. I, I've met some pretty cool people, some pretty cool readers. You know. Awesome. Are you are you on Twitter or Instagram or anything? No, 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 no. no Good no. for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much. All right. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Awesome. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alex Grass. And thanks again to Alex for coming on. I'll leave links to his Goodreads profile and where you can buy his books in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod or on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at hello at who's their podcast.com. Until next time, stay scary and get vaccinated. <laughs>